Okay, so uh, so we started our series in the Psalms, what, like five weeks ago. Uh, we started in Psalm 1, and we read it as an enticing invitation for us to uh, come to the Psalms and to enjoy them and to delight in God's uh, in God as we read about his revealed will for us. And Psalm 1 uh, touches on why uh, the, the man who delights in the law of the Lord is blessed. Uh, he's blessed because he has everything he needs to be happy in God. Uh, he's like a tree planted by life-giving water. And the Lord knows him intimately, and he will, be saved, he will save the blessed man from condemnation. So he's who we want to be. Amen. Um, and you might be thinking, okay, well, that sounds very nice, but we've been reading these laments um, and that's not, that's not realistic. That's not how life goes all the time. Uh, we go through times when our life, uh, when our hearts are broken, uh, when we have loss, when God feels like he's distant. Um, and sometimes we feel crushed under the weight of the world. Uh, so maybe, um, maybe to the point where we struggle to get out of bed in the morning, um, it seems like everyone has gone through some type of trial like this in their lifetime. Uh, but we have instruction in the Psalms for times when life is difficult and if life feels like a constant struggle. So the writer of Psalm uh, 42 and 43 will be reading this morning. Uh, apparently experienced great difficulty. And this is a lament of an individual. And it's a much different scene from Psalm 1. Um, his burden is immense, and he's in a really dark place. But we can learn from him because of the way he handles his brokenness. Um, and the way he handles his brokenness speaks to his hope that he has in God. And it's evident by his determination uh, to hope in God, that he longs to be the blessed man that we read about in Psalm 1. So let's go ahead and read uh, Psalm 42 and 43. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul for you, O God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. My salvation and my God, my soul is cast down within me, and therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night... His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? 
Why are you cast down on my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against the ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man, deliver me. For you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And I will praise you with the lyre, O God, my God. Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, the salvation, my salvation, and my God. Um, So I want to highlight a few things that we know about the psalmist situation. We know We don't know a lot about his background details, why he is lamenting, but uh, here is what we do know. First, uh, he is downcast. He's in turmoil and to the point of uh, breaking down in tears. And you can probably relate. I don't know if you've ever been there where uh, you've been so emotionally raw, where the smallest thing could throw you into a fit of rage or cause you to weep. Um, and, And that's where he is in particular. Uh, apparently it's the latter. He's t- tremendously burdened to the point of uh, weeping. Secondly, he's cut off from corporate worship. And we see this in the first few verses that he's longing uh, to be back. Um, and, we, and we can see the progression of the first two verses that he's longing for God. And there's a sense that he's trying to reach. It's almost as if he's trying to reach out to God, uh, but he can't quite reach him. It says, as the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul for you, O God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God, when shall I come and appear before God? So it's almost like there's this picture, like he's trying to reach out to God and he's just out of reach and you can't quite uh, take hold of him. Thirdly, um, he's continuously thirsting for God. We could call this uh, spiritual drought, like we talked about in Psalm 1, the blessed man has is like a tree and he has all that he needs, all the water that he needs. Uh, But he is continuously thirsty. Um, Instead of continuously delighting in God, he has continuous thirst. And instead of finding the living waters uh, that he's searching for, the only water that he finds are from his own tears. We see from verse 3, it says, My tears have been my food day and night. Um, and fourthly, while this uh, turmoil is going on inside him, his enemies are taking advantage of the situation and using it against him to kick him while he is down. The second half of verse 3 says, While they say to me all day long, where is your God? So you can see the picture of the difficulty, the turmoil that the psalmist is in. Um, he's in a bad place, uh, but God has given us this psalm as part of scripture for our purpose. And there is instruction for us here, specifically for when we experience kinds of uh, trials and turmoil. And this gives us insight in how to go through spiritual drought and difficulty as well. So, so it's my prayer as we read, um, walk through this psalm, uh, that we will be reminded and taught how to live 
through times when we are downcast, um, that we will fight in hope for God in all circumstances. Um, And we know from the first uh, few verses that he is already invested in hoping in God. Uh, He thirsts for God like a thirsty deer looking for water, and um, he will not stop until he takes hold of it. And this is what moves his next thoughts and actions. Uh, That is because he desires God because he wants to be the blessed man from Psalm 1. So he takes... He makes his thoughts um, and expressions captive to what he knows about God. And this influences how he handles his trial. So I want to give you five things with that kind of as a foundation. I want to give you five things that he does to fight for hope in God. And number one, he remembers. He remembers God's work in his life and specifically God's work in his life through corporate worship. Um, memories of what God has done for you in the past can be a great motivator for you to hope in God for the future. And uh, to keep him hoping in God into the future, he uses his memory to affirm what he knows about God. In verse 4, he says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. So many commentators uh, state that verse 4 possibly references the pilgrimages uh, to the temple in keeping the festivals. Um, So there's a lot of context that we could discuss regarding um, his remembering, his participation in these events. For example, observing the Passover is tied also to remembering God's work in delivering the Israelites from Egypt and sparing the uh, firstborn and thus keeping his covenant faithfulness. Um, and all the, and as we know, all the festivals were given and the feasts were given by God himself. Um, so thinking back on these things would have been chalked full of meaning for him. Um, I mean, really, he's he's thinking of God's faithfulness to his people. So this would be great value for him in his time of need. Uh, secondly, he speaks truth to himself. Uh, we, we see um, in 42 and 43 that there are three refrains. Um, and we can read the refrain in verse 5 of 42. He's talking to himself. He says, why are you down? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. So he he interrupts his lament, and he starts talking to himself. Um, Martin Lloyd Jones, in reference to this psalm, said, "Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself?" Now, this man's treatment was this. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? He asked. My soul has been depressing, or his soul has been depressing him, crushing him. 
So he stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. So to find uh, relief from this soul-crushing burden that he is experiencing, uh, he preaches to himself to fight for hope in God. So I was thinking about this point, and um, as I was reading this over the past week, I've, this is something I'm really not good at. Um, a lot of times I just let my thoughts kind of wander. Uh, my my personality proclivity, I think, is towards past or pessimism. I tend to focus on problems. So I can be a pessimistic person. In fact, um, Rachel wanted to know my personality type. So several years ago, I took the Myers-Briggs uh, test and it came back negative. Uh, INTP, pretty much everything about it was negative. Um, but it, to- it told me I tend to focus on problems, but that's... That's really not the problem. The problem is that when I allow myself to be tossed back and forth by my own fickle thoughts, um, the bottom line for me is if I don't hold my thoughts captive to the word of God, my thoughts will always hold me captive. Um, I preach despair to myself, which is bad because uh, when you preach despair to yourself, and I'm not talking about lamenting. Lamenting is different, right? I'm talking about buying into the despair. Um, you are, when you do that, you're not hoping in God or fighting for hope in God. Um, it's, it's, it's as if you're not acknowledging the promises of God. Um, you're denying them. When, so when life gets difficult, do you ever let your thoughts, uh, I mean, maybe you don't do it directly, but ever do you let your thoughts wander and accuse God? for your circumstance, because of your circumstances? Do you buy into despair and live like there's no hope? So that's, that's the question that, for me, that I got out of this uh, point. Um, so the question is, do we hold our thoughts captive to the truth of God's word? The man is, in this psalm, he's utterly broken, but he is holding his thoughts accountable, and he is speaking God's truth to himself. And almost as if he prescribed it to himself, he goes through this process. Uh, he laments, and then he preaches to himself again. He laments, and then he preaches to himself again. And he repeats this pattern, and there's a progression to it, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but this is how he fights for truth to reign in his understanding during this difficult time. And this is what we are to do when we are depressed, when we have trouble getting out of bed in the morning, um, which, you know, I've been there. We probably all have been there. Uh, we are to wield the scripture with purpose to inform us of our hope in God. And that's exactly what he does. And in holding his thoughts captives, captive, he, um, and this is point number three, he affirms God's sovereignty. Uh, Verse 7 and 8 show the depth of his understanding of who God God is. And and these points are, even through his uh, difficulty, these points are hard to put together, but he confesses them um, in the midst of his anguish. And we can look at two uh, truths. I mean, the 42 and 43, it's interwoven with it by the way he thinks and expresses himself, but two ways in particular. 
Uh, Verse 7, he acknowledges God's sovereign control over everything, including the things that bring him difficulty. Verse 7 says, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. So he confesses that God controls the things that are the source even of his difficulty. God controls them, but the amazing part is that he controls them without compromising his steadfast love. Uh, The second point, he confesses that God's love is steadfast despite his circumstances. We can see in verse 8, he says, uh, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Um, So furthermore, in verse uh, 9, he refers to God as his, as his rock. Um, and in his, in his anguish, he asks the question, um, why have you forgotten me? And this shows that he's, he, he's, he's not just sweeping it under the rug, but he's really working it out. And based on the surrounding verses, um, it, it, it's sandwiched by theological truths that doesn't really go with, why have you forgotten me? So he's just kind of giving words to express himself. It's maybe you could say it's a rhetorical question. It's evident that he intellectually knows at least that God hasn't forgotten him, but he's expressing himself that he feels like God has forgotten him. And he uses this human language instead of just ignoring it or using proper theological terms. He really expresses himself to God and while affirming his sovereign love and, and power. Um, so he doesn't get sloppy, um, as maybe sometimes I would tend to do in my trials in his thinking. He doesn't uh, shut off his brain, diving into the emotions of his heart. Um, he doesn't go down the path of despair. But he uses what he knows about God to inform his lament, Like what he says in verse 4, he pours himself out, he pours himself out, but he does it um, in a way that remembers who God is. Okay, point number four. Um, He sings. Verse 8 says, by, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. Um, you may have noticed the heading uh, to the choir master, a masculine of the sons of Korah. Uh, this is relevant because the sons of Korah were involved in music um, in the temple. So singing as an expression would have been a natural go-to for him. Um, and singing is a heartfelt expression. He sings longing for God as he sings to God as, um, and he sings to God as a prayer uh, to the God of his life. And this soothes, at least uh, it's evident that this soothes his heart. And when I read this, I'm reminded of my, uh, my grandma, um, who the evening before she died, um, and it, it was pretty clear that she was uh, about to pass. 
uh, clearly singing with her eyes barely open um, every word to Amazing Grace. Um, and it was clear to me that this was, in her, was her expression in her time of, uh, I guess, difficulty, uh, that her hope was in Christ. She knew that she was nearing death, but she was clinging to that hope and expressing it through song. Um, and point number five, <clears throat> he asked for God, uh, for God's help. And he does this in two ways. Uh, first, he asked to be, de- he requests to be delivered from his difficulty. Verse one says, he uh, says, vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against the ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me. Second, he asked God to lead him back to restoration. Verse 3 says, Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Uh, So we can see the progression as the psalmist goes through the lamenting process. We have these uh, sections broken up into three different refrains where he interrupts and laments to speak truth and hope to himself. Uh, the first part, verses 1 through 5, he starts off thirsting for God and having to turn to his memory to see God's work in his life. And then uh, section verses uh, 6 through 11, he speaks of God's sovereign power and steadfast love. And he shifts from remembering um, to anticipating Um, for God to vindicate and restore him. Um, And we see this in verse 3 of chapter 43, that the truth of God will lead him, and where it leads him is to his exceeding joy, to the goal. And that's that's why he's lamenting, because uh, he's not where he wants to be. He feels far off from God. Verse 4 says, Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy. And um, and note that this is uh, the key to his vindication and restoration is going to God, his exceeding joy. Um, the conclusion to his desire is not to first be released from whatever burden that he bears, but he's asking for relief that he may go to God and be near to him. That's his focus. Um, so when we read the first two refrains, it felt kind of like a rhetorical question, uh, like we know why he's downcast because uh, Psalm 42 and 43 made it, makes it pretty clear why he's downcast. Um, but as we progressed, it feels like a real question at the end of 43. It's almost like, how can you be downcast right before the last, uh, right before the last refrain? He says, he will go to God his exceeding joy. Um, now he says he will go to God. It's only a matter of time. So how can you be downcast knowing this? That's his exceeding joy. So, And all these things, um, he does all these things that we just talked about. 
so he can go to God. So he remembers, he speaks truth and scripture to himself. He affirms God's sovereignty. He sings and he asks God for help. Also, he can go to God, who is his exceeding joy. Um, So one of the clear ideas here is that uh, the psalmist, he wants to appear before God, right? He wants to be near to God, but he feels like he's going through this uh, spiritual drought. And it reminds me of Exodus 33, when Moses is interceding for the people, talking to God, 33 verses 18 through 20. Um, Moses says, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. So we learn from Psalm 1 that um, that sinners will not stand in the congregation of the righteous, that they will be burned in the fire of judgment. God is holy and we are not. So the question we could ask at this point to help us make sense of the psalmist's desire is, who will be near to God? Who will see the face of God? Um, when Jesus is talking to his disciples about going away and preparing a place for them, in John 14, verses 5 through 9, it says, Thomas said to them, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. So from now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long that you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the father. So Jesus gives us the conclusion to the Psalms. We have the psalmist, he's seeking the face of God. He's reaching for God. And, but we have this, just like in Psalm 1, you have the question, well, who can see the face of God? Um, and we, we come to the same reality that Jesus gives us the conclusion to the Psalms and allows us through his sacrifice to seek the face of God. So it's my prayer that, um, when any of us go through difficult times, we, ha- we experience difficulty in our lives, uh, that we would be able to use Psalm 42 and 43 uh, to bring us to say with confidence through Jesus, um, I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy.